Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Zilliko Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Laney, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 15, Episode 4, and this week we're all about fintech. Ewan gives us a lowdown on open banking. Ben talks consolidation and time travel with Curve. And fashion-conscious Rafe is loving the look of his hot pink Monzo card. Right, chaps, how are you doing? Spiffing. Yeah, capital. You might need to explain spiffing to our international audience. Yes, it's not as rude as it sounds. It just means I'm really feeling top of the morning. I would say it's the language uh, language of the landed gentry. Well, you might say that I can possibly comment. I can only just say it, though. It's been a long day. It has. You and McLeod, you have introduced a new thing to 361 Podcast. It's a special week this week. Hold up what you were drinking. Is this one of these? Come on, I don't think there's... Oh, it's going to be Slurs 361. He's drinking Corona Extra. No, we don't need to celebrate that. It's just, it was in the fridge and I thought, oh, you know, relax. Well, you were thirsty. It's fine, you're in. Yeah. I think in 15 seasons and four episodes of this season, that's probably 200 episodes, given all the extra things we did and and the stuff at the beginning. I don't think we've ever had beers when we were recording before. No, we've usually just kept it to minstrels and wine gums. We have been absolutely off our faces on sugar, but (laughs) never on booze. Well, I'm sorry to report that I'm not off my face. No. I mean, that can be arranged, but it's, um, I need quite a few more of those, I think. You're just a man with executive hair, drinking Mexican beer in a Danish city. That's all that's happening. That's right. It's just completely normal. It's the most cosmopolitan thing ever. And it's, by the way, it is getting a lot colder. Right. The first genuine Copenhagen weather update uh, on the podcast all season. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So anything to report? Any news of the week? Silence. Good. No. I've got my AirPods. I'm, I'm really enjoying my AirPods. I'm loving my AirPods. I've decided I'm definitely, definitely going to get an iPhone X, despite the notch, which might be ugly, because last time I didn't buy an Apple product because it looked a bit ugly. I missed out on the excellent AirPods and was slow to the party. So now I'm back in camp, do as you're told. When Tim says <laughs> buy a thing, I get my wallet out and say, yes, how much? Mm. Because actually they're excellent. And I, I can't. This is not accurate. This is not true because you're not buying the watch. Uh... Yeah. See, that's not true. Maybe I didn't, yeah. It, I don't know. Maybe says I the man, by the way, it says the man who spent 700 and something on his Apple Watch because he wanted to look good and now doesn't bother using it. I still have it. I mean, I use it. I use it when it's time Once to use it. Once or twice. Yeah, weekends. Well, I, I used it yeah. for a solid year when I first bought it. Just it's not mm. in use anymore. But I am loving the AirPods and I can't believe how much better they are than the other W1-powered headphones. So I've got the Beats X as mm. well, which are sort of more why, why is the difference and what's the difference music stuff stops and starts when you take them in and out of your ears yeah yeah that's really good and i like it seems like a small thing but it's fantastic that somebody comes up to you in the train and says can i take your ticket please and you take the thing out of your ear and you're no longer scrabbling around pause the music or pause the podcast yeah, yeah. that's really good never run out of battery well no, no, that's a, this is a good point good point question i've got for both of you is how much of a total total tool 
do you still feel wearing them? None. Zero. Over it. What? Working shortage, not a problem. Yeah. On the train, I would say they are now <laughs> so prevalent in London. Really? Yeah. Love them all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I was seeing them around the office, but not, uh, not, not loads. I still get some funny looks walking around the office on a conference call wearing my earpods. But, you know, there are a lot of other things that get me weird looks in the office, to be completely honest. So I'm not sure whether it's the earpods or my latest Instagram post. You should just pop some trousers on probably when you're in the office. (laughs) Oh, that's where I'm going wrong. I've got a top tip for anyone that's uh, flying. This is only useful currently, around about now. And that is if you're flying out of Heathrow Terminal 2, the WH Smiths has got earpods in stock. That could be useful for some people. And my u- more useful tip is if you're on iOS 11, you can actually have uh, Siri control on one earpod and play pause on the other one. Oh, that's the well, thing. That I is want. really helpful. I shall set that up. I've got 11 installs. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that. What I really want oh. is AirPods 2. I want gestures on them so that I can swipe up or swipe down on the AirPod to change the volume. The only thing I miss is no volume control on the headset. Right. Enough Apple fanboy stuff. That's my thing of the week. I was wrong, and now I've seen the light, and hallelujah. Just listen to me more next time. Well, it's in a race. I'm not sure if I'm ready to learn that lesson yet. Have you you a thing of the week? I don't think I have a a thing of the week, because I want to get on to the meat of this show. Ooh, you McLeod? Okay. We'll move on. Okay, I've done my AirPods thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you McLeod, what are we going to talk about this week? We're finteching it up, baby. What is a fintech? Okay, fintech, financial technology and services i think we'll be focusing on consumer related services because there's plenty of financial technology services typically startups um, or young companies that are focusing on the industry of finance but i think in this context we will focus on consumer level services that you can either download or install onto your bank account well you can't quite do that can you but soon you'll be able to install apps onto your bank or your bank account service or things that you download the app and then you get something physical so uh, yeah debit card credit card or the like so i'm looking forward to this one and let's kick it off why is now the time to be talking about fintechs well i think from all of the the media that i'm consuming particularly the uk media and european media and i think it's fair to say much of the american or western media Oh, and the Chinese media, I should point out, the, the, the Far East. You're always just browsing the, the Beijing press, aren't you? Just, you know. There we are. Well, China Daily. Some devils. Must read. Yeah, indeed. Fintech is something that either, you, if you're not aware of the, the phrase in detail, you probably have, you must have heard of it. Your Fintech is something that the news programs are talking about it. And increasingly, it's something that I think, I feel more and more people are aware of and are actually experimenting with. You only have to browse through your Facebook feed and you will be seeing, I'm pretty confident, and you can check me here, guys, I know we're a small sample size, but you'll be seeing lots of adverts for services, including fintech-related services. Like um, It's interesting. Yeah. It does feel like kind of the app startups were maybe five to six years ago when it was kind of the hot area to be in and everyone was, be it a social network or some kind of content consumption now, obviously, we're still mainly talking about apps, although increasingly they kind of have a wider definition because they mm. encompass other channels as well. It's yes. one of those things that seems to have caught the popular imagination and you're seeing supplements in the papers around one of the yeah. top 10 most exciting fintech companies. And increasingly, it's the sort of thing you find yourself having a conversation with someone about, oh, what have you been trying out? 
And I think there's all sorts of interesting companies we could talk about. I think we're going to mention a few in passing and try and talk about some of the big ones that we've been using. If you even see these, they're advertising the tube now. That's one of the key it's arrived. that says, yeah. yeah, something is here now, is when, you, when you're standing there packed, as I was a couple of days ago, looking up at the tube signs going, oh yeah, fintech, oh yeah, fintech, fintech. It's probably e-commerce. worth saying, yeah. you know, one of the reasons for this is there is going to be a regulatory change next year with effectively the ability to have open banking or to access your bank account mm. via APIs. We probably won't touch on that in too much detail, but in addition to well, that... Well, I give you some context? Come on, this okay, is Okay, so let's is my have the topic. context, Mr. Expert. Yeah, that'll be great. Right. So coming soon is a thing called PSD2 that you don't need to worry about. Payment Service Directive 2, what that definition means is open banking is coming. Now, the UK in particular has been quite forward-thinking with open banking, uh, but basically what that means across Europe coming next year, your bank will be forced or invited <laughs> by the regulator to allow you, as the owner of your account or the operator of your account, you will be able to say, I authorise a fintech, a service, somebody else, an appropriate service provider to access my bank transactions, so your current account transactions in the main, to do something interesting with. So typically, most banks present your current account transactions in a list or on paper, and they rarely do anything interesting with it. Sometimes the, they put them in a list on paper. Mm. And, and indeed. That's indeed, the really I mean, exciting that, ones. And we've all become accustomed to using accounts as in different accounts. This is a savings account, and that's where I'm going to stick some money, and this is my, my current account where I've got money in and how much I've got left, and is that my available balance? Does that include the overdraft or the credit line? How much have I actually got? And Oh, is this live, or was it updated last night? Or There's a few issues with uh, the way things are presented. So wouldn't it be interesting if you could take your transactions and give them in a reasonably secure manner, and I say reasonably secure, you know, it is secure typically, but the, the point for giving it to somebody else, give your data or allow someone else to look at your transactions and then do interesting things with it. And that's fundamentally what one section of the fintech arena is doing. They are looking to see what analysis can they provide, what help can they provide, for instance, if a fintech provider has been given access to your data, you said, yes, please track it. Are they able to say, ah, you have spent money in a, an electrical store? Yeah, what was that? Was it a TV or something? It looks though it's quite expensive. Do you want that insured? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. So you, they can do all sorts of interesting things. But the most interesting from an open banking transaction standpoint is what can you tell me? What, what artificial intelligence, what machine learning can you give me to help me understand and manage my finances better on a daily basis. And the most simple of these kind of things is you may have come across sweeper accounts and services and facilities. That's where you say, look, um, every transaction I make, round it up. So if I, if I spend fifteen ninety nine on something, take that one penny, make it £16, take that one penny and stick it in a savings account. Now, some banks yeah. already offer that facility, but many don't. Whereas uh, and some fintech services will say, hey, yeah, we'll do that for you. Really mm-hmm. interesting, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I'm I'm just sorry. I'm just logging into LinkedIn to add PSD two expert to my to my profile now. So I feel like I as you should, yeah, yeah. I'm yes. available for consulting assignments on this subject. So can we start to talk about some real products then that we use? Because well, that yeah, that was one thing. So you've got your open banking stuff, and then of course remember that you soon you'll be able to use open banking to effectively verify, view your information, 
in aggregate form as well. So soon you're going to start seeing, or you, you, you already can get services that aggregate your bank data. So you may have a Barclay card, credit card, and a current account from RBS, and an HSBC account, and a Santander account from Spain, for example. Technically, they should all be able to be viewed in one app and one service. What gets really interesting is when you put your mortgage in there as well, and when one service can start to tell you more meaningful information about your financial world. And then where it gets even more exciting for the consumer and for for some of the banks here, because this is not necessarily good news for many banks, where it's more exciting is when companies can say, hey, look, we've had a look at how much you're paying for your mortgage. Can we help you with that? And click here to move provider. Maybe a good service for you as a consumer, but you need to be careful to make sure you're weighing all the options. But it could be a big issue for banks. Then, of course, you've got other fintechs that are going to stand alone. But Rafe, take it away, man. I actually think the critical point here for kind of consumer fintech is that it allows effectively a new user interface or new experience to be put over the top of your existing bank account without the pain of having to actually switch accounts. And she said at the moment, it's mainly around that kind of information on transactions, but you will also be able to instruct transactions to take place, as you say, aggregating multiple things together. So really, it's a way of having new products you know, and it could be from your bank, it could be from another bank, it could be from a startup without actually having to have the hassle of changing your bank account. And effectively, your bank account becomes addressable in a platform way and the program way of talking about it via APIs. And so it allows a lot more flexibility. A lot of the fintechs we're seeing now are kind of, this hasn't actually quite happened yet. And so they're kind of setting themselves up to be ready for it because once this is switched on, it's going to enable them to go to the mass market Whereas at the moment, a lot of fintechs are still in that early adopter stage. And I think for the purpose of this podcast, that's the kind of area we're going to be focusing on. It's worth saying there are plenty of other fintech startups that are trying to unbundle other parts of banks or other parts of financial institution. Yes. There's a whole bit yes. around insurance on demand, for example, mm. of which there's some very clever examples. It's interesting, almost always, though, you can divide fintechs really into two things. One that is trying to provide better infrastructure in some ways for some kind of payment service or something similar to that that doesn't directly affect the consumer other than perhaps giving them a better experience for something like doing direct debits, which would be, you know, go cardless. Or there's one where they're seeking to create a superior experience, and that can be a combination of both the product and what we would traditionally think of as kind of user interface and user interaction. Let's name some names, right? I I really want to get to talking about some actual products. so. We'll go around, let's do one each. And, and this is one that you think people should check out because it's interesting or cool. So I'm going to go first. I think we're all going to risk choosing the, the same ones, but I'm going to recommend Curve, getcurve.com. Curve is, I think, in that spectrum that Rafe was just talking about, is a bit of a, like the hacky end of the spectrum. They're getting themselves set up for more openness that are coming. But right now, it's a debit card that they send you in the post and you then use your app to load in all the other cards that you have and it allows you to choose which card is represented by the card they've sent you. So it's like a proxy card. You can switch any of your other cards. The convenience, of course, initially is that you only have to carry one card around. You don't have to carry 20 or 30 credit cards or you know whatever it is you might, you might have. I like it because I have business cards and personal cards and family cards all loaded in there and I can switch them around. That initially was just sort of a mild convenience, but they're getting cleverer now. They're now allowing you to take a transaction. So if I go to the petrol station and I buy 70 pounds worth of fuel, 
But then I realized that I billed that to my debit card rather than my business credit card because it was a business expense. I can go and retrospectively move it between accounts. I don't have to pay myself the money. That's cool. I can replay the transaction, go back in time and redo that. That's really interesting. But they're also now doing analytics on your spending as well across all those cards because having that one card means that you aggregate all of the payment data together, which is really handy. It's super simple. It's super useful. There's some benefits around exchange rates and those sorts of things as well that are dead good. And there's a few niceties about points and rewards and things like that. But for me, it's nice having one card in my very small wallet or tucked behind my phone cover that I know will get me out of jail every time because it's every single card I could ever need. Is that your primary card? I use that and Apple Pay. There's a problem with Curve that they, you can't load Amex cards onto it anymore. You could early on, mm. and, and Amex declines to be part of that. So That's a shame. Which is a limitation, which I know that they're going to need to address over time. So I use Apple Pay for Amex transactions, and I use Curve for nearly everything else. And I have to say, my ideal would be if I could have an Apple Pay Curve card, and then I would have like a sort of an Apple Pay on steroids. I'd have the payment through the mobile device, but then I'd have an app to manage the transactions. Because of course, if you use Apple Pay or Android Pay or anything like that, it's great because you don't need to carry the card around. But as soon as you've done the transaction, it's locked into that bank account. It's gone off to whichever card provider you used. And there's no Apple Pay app to manage all your Apple Pay transactions or to change the payment method or anything like that. And that's really where it's really super valuable. And I think it's great as well that they're one of the services that are not trying to be a bank. They always want to have real banks and real financial providers behind. They want to just be a payments intermediary that adds like value over the top. And I think one of the interesting things for me about this is actually it's not just about an app. It's actually a physical object, and that has made it appeal to a much broader spectrum. Yes. And obviously it means you can use it for pretty much any financial transaction and um, where so things like apple pay obviously still have the limits uh, for uh, certainly in most retailers and the way they presented it has also been to kind of target i think freelancers and business owners in particular which is obviously a valuable audience but they feel quite a lot like amex in the way their business approaches things in terms of having loyalty and points which they're just beginning to do and you refer to that ability, they call it a time travel, yeah. which in uh, mm. seven days you can swap over from one card to another. And I think we've probably all been in that situation where there's a desire to do that. And I would describe that as an example of basically effectively doing product innovation, which, you know, when you think about it, is actually deceptively quite a simple idea, but you just don't typically get from, you know, your traditional accounts and that and aggregation. So it pulls together two of the most powerful things that you get from these kind of startups. And they've also done a very good job on actually designing app. And at least initially, they weren't particularly good about identifying what transactions did. But we were talking about that transaction data. And now they're much better about categorizing it and doing reports on it. So this is the thing that's also struck me about all of these companies is they start off with something that's kind of a unique hook, in this case, kind of putting all your cards into one physical card, but have very Mm. quickly and rapidly innovated and progressed their kind of user experience And that's one of the hallmarks of a fintech. They're able to be more nimble. Super fast. Partly because they don't have that legacy infrastructure that a lot of the banks do and arguably kind of fewer controls and things and approvals they have to go through. But yeah, I'm definitely a fan of Curve as well. I think the other one we should mention just briefly in this space 
is Monzo, because I think it's the one that a lot of people have heard about. Don't you mean Mondo? Well, indeed. I'm very proud I have my pink. I didn't yes, get it earlier than that. Your, I I've got your, a pink one. Your beta card, oh, yes. Only a beta mm. one. I've got an alpha one. Uh, well, yeah, I don't Ben's even more what impressive. What the alpha? Same, it just says alpha on it. It's, it's, it's oh, hot okay, coral yeah. pink. All, and actually, I think Monzo cards are becoming a thing now. Around London, I keep seeing people with hot pink yeah, cards. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I was in print the other day, and someone, she, she, she very proud, this lady next to me very proudly yeah. kind of made a thing of bringing her card out and going and tapping. And going, yeah. That was me. a yeah. very clever bit of marketing to have a distinctive colour to the card. Mm. And they, they built the whole sense of it's a bit of a, a project and a community around it. And they definitely, in contrast to Curve, have an ambition to become a fully-fledged bank and they're actually well, they, trying they the current account. They are a fully-fledged bank. I mean, Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a banking license. I love the fact that the sort code, which is the routing code in the UK for Monzo, is oh, what um, have they done? 040040. So they've got 404 as their routing code, which I, I, <laughs> I quite <laughs> like. That is good. That is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at their request, apparently. So I don't use Monzo very much, but actually... Of all the services we're going to talk about today, I am their biggest fan. So I suppose I need to explain a little bit. At the moment, Monzo, the product that they offer most people is a prepayment card where you put money onto the card, then you spend it. And the value of the product is the great exchange rates they offer for overseas spending, really clever categorization, the ability to warn you about spending trends and to track your money and push notifications that give you real-time information about what you're spending, which is all fantastic. But actually, I need to do business expenditure and those sorts of things quite regularly so it doesn't quite fit with my, my use case. But the way that they have gone to market and the way they're developing their products and their community and the approach to trying things and gathering feedback, for me, I think that Monzo stands a good chance of being the product that makes it through, that has a long-term life, because they really have a team that understands how to develop products and you can see all the hallmarks of doing it right. And in some respects, I'm more excited for being kind of on the journey with them to try out cool stuff and a sense of, of having a provider that's going to do exciting stuff than I am to have some of the other products we're going to talk about, which are very clever, but they are already all they are ever going to be. They are, you know, products that have done all their product innovation. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I can get a little bit cynical about the way they've approached it because it's a very conscious and deliberate decision to go that route. But in one sense, that's part of the cleverness of it. And it's everything from the way they do customer support in that there's a personality attached to the brand, which makes it uh, pretty powerful. Actually, as it stands, the product on its own at the moment isn't that useful because, as you said, it's kind of a prepaid card. They are trialing current accounts at the moment. They've got a, a couple of thousand bank accounts at the yeah, moment. Yeah, and there yeah. definitely is an ambition to replace your existing bank account. And the good thing at the moment is that categorization identification of transactions is really second to none and very accurate. And so it takes all of the load off you in terms of having to work out your budgeting and things like that and very proactively notifies you about things. So I can remember we talked many episodes ago about how it was great that American Express had something in Apple Wallet would send you a push notification every time there was a transaction. And given how many transactions now happen online or on a regular basis, actually getting that notification about them, is, there's a certain amount of security that's great mm-hmm. about that. It gets you away from identity fraud. There is obviously a long way for them to go on their journey, but it's probably worth giving a couple of examples 
where there are others looking to do the same. Moneys is actually a good example. It's another London-based startup. And they've actually targeted specifically people who have difficulty opening a bank account because of the requirements of the Know Your Customer. And so particularly people who are new in the country or don't have that credit record in quite the same way that some others will do, they've targeted that. And we're seeing a lot of fintechs in that space. But I want to give an example. Ben mentioned kind of one product that all they'll ever be. And actually, there's a company it's called Chip, which essentially will look at your spending behavior. And this is what Ewan was talking about in terms of looking mm. at your transactions. And based on that, we'll take a certain amount of money out three times a month and put it into a savings account for you. Now, the reason to do that is because some people aren't very good about having the discipline of right. saving themselves. And so having someone effectively make that decision for you. And it's kind of a more sophisticated version of a sweep account in that it's actually intelligently looking at what the transactions are and how much you can afford to save that month and actually squirreling it away. And in the case of Chip, it's actually worked with a number of the UK bank accounts and then is put into an account that's actually, I believe it's within Barclays. But that's a very specific single function and actually it's all done through a conversational interface. And that seems to be the other thing that comes up in fintech all the time. Conversational interfaces, which I'm not always convinced about, but in this instance, they've done a very good job of kind of marking themselves around that very simple need. And I've actually identified a pain point in people find it difficult to save. They've kind of solved that particular problem. But this is one of the things I think about fintechs is there's going to be a lot of them that's going to have to be effectively consolidation because it doesn't make sense for there to be all these standalone single feature products or mm. companies. Yes. And you know how's that going to work? That's going to be really interesting to watch in the next few years. Can I just touch on a security thing? And I realise yeah. I'm rapidly becoming Captain Tedious on this, but I tried and decided not to continue using Chip because they've built this clever savings technology and I do like it and I think I would find it useful, but they use a third party to access your bank account Mm. because we don't have open banking yet. The hack way to get access to your transaction data is to use companies like Yodly. They use Yodly, which is a sort of a, a screen scraper. And what they do is they keep up to date with all the various web interfaces that the banks have and they go and screen scrape your transaction data on a regular basis and then offer it up as an API. And it is incredibly clever that they are able to do it. But in order to do that, because there's not an API and the clever security stuff that goes with an API, chip, take your username and password and give it to Yodly, who also have your username and password, who then use it to log into your bank. So is it chip that take it? Because I think it may be Yodly that takes it directly. I think chip might just redirect you. Are they storing your details as well? So I did ask them about this and they said not, but my point is that yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. when they collect this data, it's wrapped up in their experience and you can't tell yes. who's behind it and they don't publicize unless you ask them who their provider is. So you can't be clear whether or not they have that or not. But certainly mm. somebody who's not you has your full username and password for your bank account. Yes which is directly in contravention with most banks' policies. So if you were defrauded, the banks would identify that you had done this and would probably look to argue that you hadn't responsibly kept your account secure because when you sign up for banks, you generally say, I won't share my password with anybody, and and you definitely have. So I love the product, but this is one that's crying out for open banking to come along so they can do the things they need to do properly. That was a worry for me, and I think it means we need to be cautious about who we recommend. Yeah, It's a real dilemma for banks, that. So you and go on, we talked about, I really love Curve, 
Rafe's mentioned Monzo, and I kind of want to talk about Monzo again more in the future. But who else would you hold up as an interesting fintech? I use Revolut a lot. I have committed to Revolut, and it's another one of those debit card foreign exchange style services. You get a prepaid debit card, uh, you load money onto it, and then any foreign exchange or the majority of foreign exchange you could ever want to do is at interbank rates. So the, the, the cheapest, the best possible rates you can possibly generally get. I was a very early Revolut customer and I just uh, I just tried it out. Fine, thank you very much. It's, it's pretty straightforward. And what really prompted me to use it was um, some friends of ours. The chap is a pilot, his wife is cabin crew. And they came over to visit us a little while ago and we were in a store buying some coffees or whatever. And the, the chap was, uh, just before he, he paid, he, he just tapped his watch a few times and then brought out his Revolut card. And I thought, oh, I said to him, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm using Revolut. And he said, we all use it. It's just, it's fantastic, isn't it? I thought, oh my gosh, right. Okay, so they're using it and they've integrated Revolut into their lifestyle because they are constantly traveling and they're in different countries, different days or same day in some cases and wanting to, to spend or take money out. They want the best possible rates. And if you have been on vacation or holiday recently and made some credit card payments with your standard bank card, you may have noticed some rather ugly, annoying fees. Have you seen this, guys, when you when you make a, an international... Well, I haven't, actually. I haven't because I haven't used a non-specialist travel card for years because really? it's so expensive, yeah. I mean, it gets ridiculous. Sometimes it's a percentage off the cost they charge oh. you. If you go overseas and you take a standard American Express card, you can be paying three or four percent of the transaction cost in fees depending on yeah. you know where you are and the type of product you've got but yeah it so can basically be horrendous. yeah you, so for whether it's amex or anybody else so mm-hmm. most standard high street banks they charge you depending on the, the credit card you're using so you might pay for a hundred dollars and then you'll see your hundred dollar transaction appear in your statement and that will be translated or converted at a probably not very good rate anyway into pound sterling and then you'll also have another entry saying transaction fee not very good can i just rave a little bit about revolut and what else it does so there are quite a lot of products that you can get out there which you know you put money on and then you spend that balance and they don't charge you very much for overseas transactions and that's fantastic Mm -hmm. but so far so unremarkable i think what i really like about revolut is twofold One is that you can make accounts in all different currencies and you can hold balances in them and they're slowly adding the ability to pay into them. So if you have a Revolut card and you hold a balance in sterling, they'll give you an account number and a sort code and people can, you know, you can pay money and you could have your salary paid in in if you wanted. So it functions as a regular bank account. It's not just one single store of value which you have to pay in, you know, by making a bank transfer or making a, a card transaction. And the other thing is that you can create multiple cards. Yes, virtual cards as well. Yeah. You can order as many physical cards as you would like for you or family members or for different trips or something like that. But then also, as, as Ewan says, you can make virtual cards. And so you could use those for your online transactions. And all of this is yeah. done instantly through the app. It's very much instant gratification. Most of these things you could probably do through traditional banking services, albeit paying more, as we said, but it would take days to apply and things would arrive in the post and bits of paper would need to be signed. But I went through, you know, opening an account, I've got balances in pounds, euros, and US dollars in my Revolut account. And I've 
also got a virtual and a physical card on the way. And the sum total of that took me about 15 minutes, including mm-hmm. taking a picture of myself and I take a picture of my ID. It's sort of beyond the very basic product. You can see how effectively this is about one hop away from being a true multi-currency, multi-card product. I liked what they were doing so much that I've, uh, I've paid. I've paid the $7.99 a month to upgrade. And uh, now it means I'm a premium customer. If somebody sticks the word premium on a product, <laughs> your hand is halfway through the wallet. <laughs> Just for you, and we're, we're launching Premium 361. You need to pay £50 a month to receive it. It's exactly the same yeah. as the free 361, but you feel special. Yeah. Well, no, no, because I do have a premium card with an exclusive design on it. Let me just show you. There you go. Have you got Ooh, one nice. of That's quite slick. Actually, no, I haven't. Yet. Thank I haven't you. Okay, card. so there, ladies and gentlemen, that's Probably the value. Probably get the pink one, though. <laughs> oh. I've got the pink one. That's quite slick. I've got that for Hetty. Yeah, that for the wife. It's quite nice, isn't it, right? Yeah. Whenever I bring it out of the wallet, people go, ooh. What's yeah. interesting is the contactless sign is on the back. There you go. But it's, it's really nice. And they do send it to you as soon as flipping possible, yeah. which is really exciting. It's global card delivery in three days. And I love the fact that they've kind of rethought the sense of the card as a singular thing. And as Ben says, you know, multiple currencies and actually the virtual cards is really powerful. And again, their support and the app itself yeah. has been, it's very polished. I can, I can see Ben right now. He's like, are you buying your, uh, are you upgrading? No, not right now, actually. I was just inside that app. The other thing I think that's really interesting, and it hints where I think Curve and Monzo and others will go, is that inside the Revolut app, there's a whole bunch of offers of financial services that are... It's like an app store. It, it is a little bit like an app store, but they're yeah. also of the same standard. Yes. Many of the traditional banking apps that you can get, you can go and... It will tell you about the other products of the firm, and you can sometimes you can even apply for them through mobile. But you'll yes. be applying for for them in a very traditional way, and they'll be pretty routine products. But here they're offering travel subscriptions. You can get a mortgage, phone repairs, online pension advice. No, yeah, no, those are special offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so th- there are yeah. there are offers, but they're also looking to try and do other services. So they have a panel here that says wealth management, insurance, credit, and the premium that you've just talked about. So I would actually be willing to sort out more complicated or more specialist products if I didn't have to spend days or weeks, you know, sort of applying for them and thinking about it. And yeah, the, the idea, I actually might shop around more if it made it easier. If it's okay, I want to sort of move on to talk about another one, which is sort of slightly mm. bigger transactions. Habito is a mortgage yeah. broker. And actually, I've been using them recently. So we have a mortgage on our house. The fixed period on it has expired. And so now it's time to consider whether or not we want to remortgage to get a different deal. And um, it's interesting, actually, that Habito, it was so much simpler than using a trip. So I've, I've actually done three comparisons. I spoke to a high street broker who right. is sort of a traditional human on a phone who's a sort of a sales machine. I spoke to Habito through their website, and then I spoke to an independent financial advisor who will charge me a fee to give me advice, but it's like the premium end of the spectrum. And it's absolutely fascinating that the gap between the pay-for advisor and the Habito experience is very, very small indeed. They both easily best the free advisor, the glorified salesperson, who's IT services were all horrible, made me do tons and tons of work to get all the information Mm. we needed about the mortgage, you know, almost made us do all of the application process up front. 
with sort of justifications and paperwork and supporting materials before we could even talk about products. And it felt like a very laborious, tedious process. But Habito is amazing. Conversational interface, as Rafe says, you answer simple questions about yourself, the unusual things about our life. For example, I'm a freelancer, which often sort of, you know, Mm. raises questions. It's much easier in these situations if you're a paid employee. They dealt with all those things really well. The content design, the language it uses and the way you ask the questions and my ability to understand them quickly was really good. It was a little bit disappointing at the end because it then drops you out to a human who sort of works through the final details and sends you a PDF. But they were able to offer a product that was equal to the best on the market. And we got to a mortgage offer in principle, which was as far as I chose to take that process in a few hours. The email follow-ups, it's almost like my need for a mortgage was a help ticket. You know, I'd, I'd rung a help desk and asked, you know, my, yes, yes. I have a problem. I need a mortgage. Please fix it for me. And I got all that same kind of experience of, hey, you haven't sent us the document you need to, but here's the thing. Click here and upload it. And it's all sort of mm. just about making it the most easy possible way to get that thing. And it's only yeah. really been matched by somebody that we pay for advice, you know, a proper, true paid for advisor. And it's worth saying that those larger financial instruments are actually the ones where the banks make the most profit. And so if they can be disrupted by the fintech space, that's what's going to generate most concern. But again, it was about making it easy for you more than anything else is what appealed, I assume. I was amazed. You know, a mortgage is a very longstanding thing. It's a very, very high earner for the banks. And I was just amazed that I'd like to have a, five, 10, 20 year relationship with you, Mr. Financial Services Provider. And I'd like to pay you over the top of, you know, the actual product itself. I'd like to pay you thousands and thousands of pounds year on year on year. And the first thing you do is make me fill in a 30 page photocopy black and white form that somebody will then mistype into a computer and get the details wrong and ask <laughs> loads of questions. And then you'll want to see, you know, loads of details, which actually were already on the film. Just for fun, although we didn't complete it, we filled in a mortgage application form for one of the sort of the free brokers. I had to fill in my address, my home address on this same form 17 times. That is ridiculous. That's the same piece of information 17 times because there was a section on who you are, a section on where you live, a section of where your place of work was. And, you know, just if this was a true digital experience, I'd be going, same, same, same. You know, they just the, yeah. <laughs> it was so amazing. And what surprised me with that one was all you need to do, and I'm doing my bunny ears quote, all you need to do was to try to make the experience better because they didn't sell me a different mortgage. The mortgage that was coming from the better providers was from a high street institution. You know, the actual product was the yeah. same. It was the intermediary that was different. And, you know, these places, I mean, you and, you and I know because we've worked in mm. one, are chock full of people with the skills and the technology able to deliver those experiences. It's either a mental block or a lack of understanding about what people really want. And so, yeah, Habito was amazing. We didn't end up using them. Yet. Well, no, actually, we're not going to. We're going to use the advisor option, but it's because we want to buy a product. one. Well, it's because in addition to the mortgage, we want to buy some life assurance for me. So we've decided that we're going to buy multiple products. And so it's worth having an advisor that can talk to us about more products. But if Habito did all the products we wanted to, sold. We would absolutely be there. I think if you want a mortgage and only a mortgage, that experience was amazing. And they were 
easily best and also, of course, free. Or free to me because mm, mm. the people who pay are the people selling the service. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we've talked about all of these things which are largely existing services or improvements. But it's also worth noting that there can be expansion into other areas. And there's one more company I want to mention, which is Yolt, which is backed by ING. And actually, this is one of the aggregators that Ewan talked about right at the top of the show. And they will allow you to kind of aggregate current account credit cards together. And at the moment, that's done in a fairly clumsy way in terms of providing logins with PSD2 coming in. Obviously, that will change. You'll be able to do it much more smoothly. It's clearly a product aimed at when that happens. They do some really interesting things by aggregating everything together. They give you a smart balance, which effectively tells you how much more you've got to spend this month because people are very rarely interested in absolute amounts. They want to kind of know, okay, how much have I got to spend now? Because that comes back to a fundamental question, which is, can I afford something? And actually, when they look at something, that's what they want to know. And actually, the balance checking behavior is all that's very common in apps. And actually, if you look at any of the usage stats, that's the most common one is around that question. But the thing that caught my attention was the fact in analyzing what you're doing, it will look at your bills and it'll look at your subscriptions and it will make it easy for you to cancel subscriptions. So managing things like Spotify, like Netflix, which aren't Mm -hmm. done on direct debit, which actually current banks are pretty good about managing now, but there's a lot of things going on in my life that I kind of probably forget sometimes that I'm on a subscription plan and being able to cancel that very easily but also it will look at your energy bills and make a recommendation based on what it knows about you, about whether you can save energy. And suddenly it connects into an adjacent product. And it reminds me, of course, that everything goes through your bank account pretty much. And therefore it knows an awful lot about anything that is some monetary transaction and all the services, you know, in your home or insurance or, you know, retail purchases, it can then make recommendations based on that. And actually if it becomes a trusted partner, and certainly I think banks and fintechs have the potential to play in that space, suddenly they can disrupt or intermediate all the kind of other things that go on in your life. And just as we saw mm. Uber do that to transport, there is no reason why these startups, or indeed an existing bank, can't do that to any financial transaction you're having and the service associated with it. So I think looking forward, particularly as automation and AI comes in, to kind of learn about this, that ability for you to have smart recommendations made to you, taking away you having to think about it, is probably the most powerful thing about fintechs. We haven't really got there yet, but it's absolutely a future I see. It's funny, actually. There's a couple of banks, First Direct, who I used to be a customer of, actually, and and likes their customer service, are running advertising campaigns in the UK at the moment, emphasizing, you know, we support you on your special journey. We're as unique as you are, you know, sort of mm. tailored for your special life. And I kind of think it's just marketing nonsense because they're absolutely not. They've got one yes. vanilla Bogo standard high street current account. And, you know, like their people are a bit nicer than the other bank's people when you ring them up. But let's not pretend that they're in any way tailored. And so, as Rafe says, the prospect of being able to craft this savings product and this current account and that payment and this currency conversion and that type of borrowing and have them all on demand and the as needed rather than sort of lifetime subscriptions. Because, you know, certainly until very recently, people would be with a bank for life because why would you change? You know, it was just a place to store money. I just wanted to touch on one more thing, actually, which Rafe made me think of, and I wasn't going to mention it in this episode, but I wanted to talk about Ovo Energy. Right. So that's a UK energy provider, and 
not a financial provider, although they do actually obviously provide us a line of credit and payments because you make payments to them. I have electricity and gas from them. You make regular payments and then they actually bill your actual usage out of your account. And they, they actually, a bit like a bank, they pay interest on the credit balance that you hold with them, which is a very nice thing to do, you know, given the fact that we actually have over the summer, because we pay the same amount every month, we build up a credit with them. And then over the winter, it gets spent as our usage goes up. And over the year, it okay. balances out. But one of the things that I thought was incredibly clever, and we'll see in other places, is for customers who have smart meters, which report usage regularly, they've now got some cleverness that looks at your electricity usage and can work out what the appliances that are using it from the energy signature. And I'm doing bunny ears again. So that's cool. They can tell when you turn your washing machine on from the change in demand, you know, the sudden spike, and then it goes down a bit, and then it gets to the spin bit, and then the demand goes back up again, or dishwasher or water heater, you know, and actually they start to categorize your electricity spend into categories based on patterns they can observe from your actual usage. Well, that's incredibly clever, obviously, just because they have data about your electricity usage. But imagine all of the other service providers that could provide you guidance. Now, their primary one is to say, do you realize what each of these things cost you? And it's about making sure that you use as little power as possible and that you can pay for what you do use and so on and so forth. And it's a sort of a responsibility play. But if they could say, we'd like to encourage you to use your washing machine at a period when there's excess energy in the grid. So could you set the timer to set it off at 3 a.m. in the morning and we'll give you cheaper power during that time? Or, you know, we'll tailor our supply. And then imagine how that could work for other financial services. And it's just about having that body of real accurate data there where you can pull out the trends. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. And, you know, you can extend that into it can recommend a more energy efficient appliance. And that data set, you know, we will see this as an increasing pattern. We've talked about it in a fintech concept. Energy is another one. Actually, the same thing applies to audio in the home. Anywhere where you've got a sensor collecting large amounts of data that's personal to you. I saw a recent study where basically by just putting a couple of microphones in the home, you can actually detect all the activities, including certain types of appliances, because you're fingerprinting the sound that they're making or the electricity oh, that they're using. And that's, of that's course, cool. the power of machine learning that, you know, or machine intelligence that gets talked about an awful lot. You know, AI is generally assumed to be making kind of decisions on your behalf, but a lot of it's just about pattern matching. All of these fintech startups are going to be using that to recognize certain patterns of behavior. And it will appear to you like you're getting a very personal recommendation. In fact, you're probably just being put into a certain segment and then probably put on an automatic marketing cycle. Nonetheless, that's going to be vastly more powerful than just the sort of scattergun approach that we often see from our current financial institutions. And really, it's about segmentation coming down to an individual rather than a big group. And that's exciting because honestly, a lot of this boring stuff goes away and you get to make smarter decisions. Your money, you know, or whatever it is, you know, is used more efficiently and smarter. That's better for you. And so often the trade-offs there are much more acceptable than the trade-offs we've traditionally seen in this giving your data away to get free stuff. Because I'm okay with that if I get to make a more informed decision. We've got to wrap it up there, guys. We've completely run out of time. We didn't get to talk about Bitcoin. And judging by Rafe's face as I'm saying this, We've dodged a bullet there. So <laughs> next, good news. I've noticed another bullet that you've dodged. We haven't mentioned Snapchat, and I know you've been enjoying that, Ben. So we're going to have to delay that for another episode as well. Okay, so next episode, we will come back and talk about Snapchat and Bitcoin. 
Not necessarily in that order. Because they're clearly very linked <laughs> and related. I'm more interested in one than the other, but we'll come back. We've run out of time this episode, but we'd still welcome your contacts, your, your snap us or whatever it is that you do on Snapchat. Um, ben update, still not enjoying it. And we'll be doing our Bitcoin challenge. Rafe, I want you not just to have bought some Bitcoin. I want you to have done something with it by next week. Okay. Yes, Ben. Yes. Rafe. I hear in a bay. Exactly. It's quite easy in short ditch, I'm sure. Okay, I want to say thank you to Mark at audiowrangler.co.uk for making this sound buttery smooth. Thank you to Digitas LBI for providing our recording venue and access to Rafe Blanford. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can find a list of all our supporters on our website. You can contact us at 361podcast on Twitter or 361podcast.com where you can send us a public message or email us in private if you'd like to. We welcome all your feedback. Many of the topics in this season are driven by suggestions from last season. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure as always. Lots of love. Thank you, Ben. Pleasure listening to your dulcet tones. Indeed. And we will be back next week with Snapchat and Bitcoin slash doing something with internet money things uh, updates. Bye-bye.